Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to the show for Street Soccer here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network and Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. I'm Nick Gieber. My co-host is with me, and he is Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, lots of stories to get to today. We've had the Community Shield, the curtain opener, so to speak, for the English season, which is now fully underway. It was a barn burner of a match. And we have transfers, and we have stuff going on in Germany, and we're going to look at who's moving where in the Premier League and take a look at how we are predicting the leagues will end, but we are going to talk about the elephant in the room, which is an ugly, ugly power grab in the biggest soccer crime syndicate in, well, in the hemisphere, which is the unholy alliance between U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer raises its ugly head again, Kartik. Kartik, yes, we do have you. Do we have you, Kartik? That's the question. Apparently, uh, we don't have you. Yes, now we the have The Development you. Academy? Yes, that's it. We got you. Yes. The Development Academy situation, which is uh, something that stunned people, essentially favoritism being played towards MLS academies, including some that have never developed a player, uh, while some of the more established and successful player development academies in this country find themselves relegated through no fault of their own, including an academy that, interestingly enough, had the better record than any of the MLS academies in its region this past season, and was a plaintiff in some uh, form of a claim or litigation against U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer. So maybe that's not a coincidence. Lots to talk about. Yeah, yeah. This is like The Godfather Part 4, except this time it's starring Don Garber, Carlos Cordero, uh, that chick that's in head of, ahead of uh, the head of some, uh, and that is the Unholy Alliance, the star chamber of American football. All right, well, we're going to talk about it. 800-878-7529. If you've got, you got something to say, you want to get it off your chest, we want to hear from you. Losing my words today, which is bad when you're a radio host. Uh, big hello to our men and women in, in uniform around the world listening on the American Forces Network. We're going to step aside, take a break, and we'll gather our thoughts, learn how to speak properly, and be right back after this here on Fistry Soccer. to be with you fifth street soccer nick and kartik by the way find us on twitter we are at fifth street sports uh i'm also at nick geber and he's at kkfla 737 if you should find our our personal twitter accounts as well that's just fine uh kartik we wanted to talk a little bit about the community shield which is the curtain raiser which you apparently didn't see this match which you were working i i did see this match and i've seen a lot of community shield matches kartik uh, this one was played at a very high level, at a very fast pace. I think these two teams have a 
rivalry, but not a dislike for each other. If you can understand, you know, you obviously understand the difference. Uh, not like a Manchester United and a Liverpool where there's a rivalry and a dislike. I think there's a heated rivalry and, and a respect between these two teams. Uh, what a terrific community shield. Uh, in the end, uh, Manchester City win on penalties. Uh, but I think it was fairly clear to see during this match these two teams have just picked up where they left off last season, and I think these two teams are the front runners right away for the Premier League. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't see the match as, as you said. Uh, I was we were busing back to JFK Airport uh, with the Miami FC team. Uh, we'd played the Cosmos and the NPSL final the previous night. So, um, what was 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 on the bus with a Daglish though, if that counts for some <laughs> yeah. sort of uh, Liverpool cred uh, with, with Paul Daglish, who by the way, he's now won six trophies in his two seasons at Miami FC. So he's uh, beginning to rival his uh, father for trophy collection. I know the domestic game in this country isn't quite like winning the English first division of yesteryear, but um, still a pretty good trophy haul for uh, the younger Daglish. Uh, I think this part of this um, ser series now, if you want to call it a rivalry, is the respect between the two managers. They yeah. competed with one another at uh, when uh, Pep Guardiola was at Bayern and uh, Jurgen Klopp was at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, they had some epic matches uh, in, in Germany. I remember that 5-2 uh, uh, German Cup final, which Dortmund won. Um, there, there, was, there were only um, a few matches. There have only been a few matches between these two managers that have been uh, very one-sided. Uh, and that, you know, we think about the match where, where Mane got sent off two years ago for um, for Liverpool being one of them. Uh, and there's a lot of respect, and there's a lot of similarities in the way they manage, the way tactically they set up their teams. Uh, I think that there are elements of Pep Guardiola's style. I know, um, it, you know, everybody likes to, to rave about Barcelona and talk about how uh, Barcelona uh, uh, has, has changed football, and, and there are... Uh, uh, people who are very um, partial to Spanish football and talk about um, you know, how great everything that comes out of La Liga is. I'll tell you, there's a lot of Pep Guardiola's management that I see that came out of Germany uh, and, and that he picked up at Bayern uh, to enhance what, yes, he did have the Cruyff uh, Barcelona style, and he enhanced that with some of the, um, the tactics and techniques that we see that have made German football uh, so entertaining and exciting. He's brought that to Manchester City, He's got an opposite number in Jurgen Klopp, who um, was the best manager in German football, uh, is uh, one of the two best managers or one of the three best managers in English football. I'm going to put Mauricio Pochettino in that category, too, with, with these two managers. And it's making for some really exciting football. Two clubs hitting uh, on all cylinders and two clubs who bring their best uh, to the table when they play one another. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was great to watch. It's good stuff. And, you know, in watching this, look, Oh, well, we're going to talk about the transfers. And by the way, I'd like to welcome Ryan E. King 18 on Twitter to the show. Uh, he does have a question for us, Kartik. He says, uh, do we think the Premier League is far and away the best league right now? Uh, he says, I know Kartik like to tamp down the Premier League fanboys, but Liverpool and City look really good this weekend. Lots of other transfers to the top six or seven teams as well. And by the way, Ryan, I want to say, complimented the music on this show. Uh, which I really appreciate. Uh, so we today we've got a little Iggy Pop. You just heard that. And we will have some circle jerks and some other thrashing punk goodness along the way to keep you on your toes. Uh, but look, to, for me to answer Ryan's question, yes, I think the Premier League is far and away the best league in the world right now. Um, you know, there was an argument to be made over the last few years that it may be the best league in the world without the best two teams. And, and I think that was 
a fair way to look at it. Uh, I think La Liga probably had the best two, potentially three teams in the world at any uh, at any time. Uh, but I don't think that's the case now. Uh, I, now I think the Premier League is the best league in the world with the best teams in the world. I think, you know, you can see all four English teams making uh, the finals of both European competitions last year. Uh, but look, this all this stuff is cyclical. It, it, it changes. Yeah, yeah. It, it rotates. I mean, this is not a big bragging point. It is. It always has been the best league in the world. Uh, as I said, whether the best teams in the world reside there, that's you know that's the topic for debate. I think. But top to bottom, the Premier League much more exciting. Now, Kartik, you and I have had discussions about Atletico Madrid, and you and I actually will not be surprised to see Atletico Madrid win La Liga this year. This team is definitely bulking up for a fight, and I think finding both Real Madrid and Barcelona in particularly vulnerable right now, despite the Griezmann transfer, of course, the discussion about uh, about the return of the prodigal son, Neymar, that's not happening. Uh, so it's interesting to see, but I think Atletico, uh, they really have the bit between their teeth, Kartik. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you on uh, on the league thing. I think the Premier League is the best league in the world now. I would disagree that I would say about five five years ago, La Liga was the best league in the world because I thought even teams six through ten in La Liga at the time were better than teams six through ten in the Premier League. But it's all cyclical. There's been a period even in the last seven to eight years where I thought there was a year or two where Germany were as good as the Premier League in La Liga. Uh, it's been a while for Italy, but it seems like that league is coming back now. But right now, I'd agree the Premier League is on top. In terms of Atleti, yeah, Nick, I mean, um, obviously they won the league in 2014 and they've gotten to a couple Champions League finals uh, and, and were unfortunate to lose both those matches, right? But I don't think I've been as excited about Atleti player for player um, as I am this season. Now, I know um, th this the big question is in Simeone's system because part of the reason Atleti has been successful getting the Champions League finals, winning La Liga once, uh, finishing second a couple times is because they play, um, quite frankly, what a lot of people would call anti-football, right? They're very wow. defensive. They play They're Simeone very football, organized. Right? I mean, what? They play yeah. Simeone I mean, football. I, yeah, yeah, and I don't consider it anti-football because my my retort to people who don't like Simeone's style, mostly who are Barcelona fans, by the way, is what do you want Simeone and Atleti to do? To unilaterally disarm, say, hey, you know, you guys have better football in skill in midfield. Just take it. We're just going to uh, let you beat us by playing your way. No, I, I think Simeone's style of having guys come in with hard tackles, hard challenges, being organized with, with two lines of four works. Um, when you don't have the talent level that your biggest rivals do now. And, and interestingly enough, I mean, they've made some incredible signings in this offseason. I mean, they brought in Jao uh, Felix from Benfica. They paid $140 million yep. for him. Uh, Llorente from Madrid for, for $34 million. Uh, Hermoso from Espanyol. They brought in uh, Kieran Trippi, of course, right? Yep, yep. From Spurs. I mean, Spurs. Uh, that was $25 million. Uh, Felipe from Porto. I mean, these are all big signings. Uh, they brought in uh, Lodi from Atletico PR. I mean, that's from Brazil. I mean, uh, 22 million. They brought in some really solid signings, of course, you know, headlined by Jao Felix, who basically, you know, everybody and their brother wanted. So uh, d d don't don't just focus in on Barcelona and Real Madrid because Lodi going to give them a run for their money.
Yeah, and Atleti had finished ahead of Real Madrid the last two seasons of the yeah. league, which I think a lot of people forget uh, because we remember who wins, but and then we see who's in the top four, right? Uh, I, I think uh, my point I was going to make, though, is that I think Simeone now has a challenge because he's never had this much attacking talent in the team, uh, right. even though he had Griezmann all these seasons. So um, he's going to have to open up a little bit. Yeah, he's going to have to open up a bit. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, keep your eyes on La Liga. Of course, we will keep you up to date on everything as well as continue our copious and in-detail discussions about the Premier League, which is our first and greatest love. Uh, that and bitching and moaning about Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer and sub and some, and we're going to do that in just a little bit. But when we come back, let's uh, take a quick whip around the transfer market, shall we? And take a look at who's doing what, to whom, when and where. Wait, sounds like a soap opera. In the Premier League, the world's greatest soap opera. There is none finer than that. All right, Nick Ebron, Kartik, Krish and I are with you. We're going to step aside, be right back after this. All right, Nick, come up just a little bit on your microphone. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure if we'd play Hurry Up Harry or the Sham 69 version of Millwall Boys, but uh, we settled for Hurry Up Harry. Welcome back to Street Soccer. We're taking you back to the 70s and early 80s here on the show. Uh, at least I am. I don't think Kartik was probably born back then. Uh, but anyway, welcome back. Uh, Nick Ebron, Kartik, Krish and I with you. Uh, Kartik, you know, it's funny every time we sit down and talk about transfers in the Premier League. Of course, the window closes. On Thursday, does it not? Is it Thursday? It is Thursday, right? The window closes. It is Thursday, yeah. correct, yeah. So uh, we, we sit down and talk about it, and every time we talk about it, we come up with a different recipe. We come up with a different um, outcome for the player recipe that's been thrown in the pot based on those transfers. So two weeks ago, we were talking about Spurs. What a monstrous, monstrous team they looked like they were going to be. Looked like they were making a big bid on Dybala. They got Dombele. Uh, you know, we talked about Jack Clark, but they sent him back to Leeds. But it looked like, you know, they were splashing some serious cash. But unfortunately, it just went absolutely ice cold after Dombele came in. They didn't get uh, Dybala. He didn't, uh, Dybala didn't go from Juve to Man United, as I said he wouldn't. Now, apparently, of course, he's unsettled at Juventus, and the discussion is he's going to go to Paris Saint-Germain, which is kind of like, I don't know, uh, the outhouse for disgruntled players in Europe. I'm not quite sure, but PSG it is. But staying in the Premier League, if you look at the teams that are contending, Kartik, if we saw this weekend Liverpool and Man City, I'm still going to say that's a one and two finish in what order. I'm not entirely convinced. Uh, you know, Chelsea haven't looked half bad on their preseason tour. Of, of course, you know, they haven't been able to bring anyone in. But all of a sudden, the team that we have been absolutely lambasting all off season has, looks like they have done some really nifty business. We're talking about Arsenal Football Club bringing in Pepe for $70 uh, million, Saliba for $34 million from Saint-Étienne. So they bring in a centre-back, they bring in a right-winger, and they bring in a left-winger in Martinelli, and they bring in Ceballos to kind of run the midfield from uh, from Madrid. That's some really good business, Gartic. I think that's some really, really good business. And I think Arsenal fans are beginning to get excited as we approach the season. I've talked talk to a few um, this weekend 
in in uh, on Long Island for, around the Cosmos uh, Miami FC final and PSL final. And Arsenal fans who were down two weeks ago are now upbeat. Uh, the same Arsenal fans saying, let's get Kroenke out of this club two weeks ago are saying, well, now he's backing Unai Emery. And we know Emery is a good manager. Uh, d- don't worry about what happened at PSG with Emery. He was a good manager at Valencia. He was a good manager at Sevilla. And uh, he was a good manager in his first season at Arsenal. So um, he just couldn't manage the Neymar clown show, right, at, at PSG. Um, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, fault of his right? that's just a racing away from him now we're giving him the tools and the budget Cronky is uh to go out there and rebuild an arsenal team that quite frankly had gotten kind of stale and long in the tooth toward the end of wenger's uh tenure so i think there's a lot of excitement now around arsenal football club and they really believe they can push into the top four again with spurs problems in the transfer market with manchester united being having maybe a cultural problem at their yeah. club right now, well, and then, of course, Chelsea having a transfer ban. Yeah, yeah, but I want to talk about this because, you know, the, the, there's two things that have changed in the time, and this is, God, this is fantastic, but there, there are two things that have changed in the time that we've been talking about this. I mean, number one is you've got, as we talked about, this sort of the excitement at Spurs. They make a big money signing for Dombele. Uh, you know, it, it, all of a sudden, Daniel Levy is doing the unthinkable. He's opening up the pocketbook and, you know, uh, and Ericsson's going to go and there'll be all sorts of fresh money coming in from Ericsson and we'll buy more players and Levy's finally figured out how to spend. Well, what he's done is he's acquired another company with his business. Uh, he's used a lot of his capital for that. Uh, I don't know if you heard about that, Kartik. Uh, but yes, the, the, the other side of it also is um, they haven't signed anyone. And so now they have Ericsson, who we know is a want away. He's t- going to be on the bench playing. Uh, sure, Harry Kane, but, you know, as good as Kane is, he's proven to be not quite the Iron Man that maybe he needs to be over the course of a 38-game season to carry the team on his own. And most importantly, you have the manager who seems to be very upset. And this is a manager with whom to whom these players have loyalty. They don't have their loyalty for ownership at Tottenham. Their loyalty is for Pochettino, and if he's upset, they're going to be upset. Meanwhile, you've got Arsenal adding all these players, you know, and, and most importantly, and, and we don't give this enough thrift, when you bring in a new manager, he inherits the old manager's players, and those players don't necessarily speak to his system. Unai Emery now has had a chance to bring in players that complement his system, and those players have been bought in a manner that that Arsenal have found financially acceptable, particularly uh, Nicolas Pepe's financing, which is you know exactly what they were looking for, which was a big purchase, but over a number of years. But then you look at Manchester United because I'm gonna I'm going somewhere with this, Kartik. You know, last season they were a defensive nightmare. This team, I mean, they were inconsistent yeah. up top for sure, uh, but they were their biggest problem was defensively, and they have managed to bring in the most expensive defender in the world now with Harry Maguire. It's a great acquisition, a centre-back. They brought in Juan Bissaka, who's a right-back. Uh, and then they brought in uh, young Daniel James uh, from Swansea as a left-winger. I-, I think they've done really good business as well, Carter. Maybe not as much business as they would have liked, but this isn't bad business. And Malcolm and, and the Glazers, not Malcolm because he's dead, but the Glazer family have spent £180 million with nothing, with no offset because it looks like Pogba is staying. 
Yeah, uh, first off, Danny Levy and, and Joe Lewis, who actually is the person with most of the money that owns yeah. Spurs, uh, they have significant big business interests right here in Fort Lauderdale, where I live, uh, are involved in a number of projects. Actually, Daniel Levy has a home here in Fort Lauderdale. So I'm a little more aware of what uh, how they operate. And Joe Lewis's son lives here in the state of Florida also. Uh, in terms of their other businesses uh, than maybe most people in the UK are, or most Spurs fans are. They, they have some significant other projects they're working on right here locally uh, between the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area and the Bahamas. So uh, Spurs, you know, maybe there's some uh, inability to release funds because of those projects. And I would also say, Nick, I am not convinced, and I know I'm going out there on this one, but I've been saying it for a couple months now. I am not convinced that the, that there is not some ramification for the delays and cost overruns for building Spurs' new stadium. And that that might be uh, putting a little bit of an inhibition in Levy's mind on how much they can spend, much like it affected Arsenal after they moved into the Emirates. Now, everything we've heard and wrote about uh, that's been written about or we've read about is that uh, oh, Spurs now are going to have all this new revenue uh, because of this new stadium. They're going to be able to spend more. They're going to be able to compete with the big boys. Um, but we haven't seen any proof of that. And I am suspicious because there were cost overruns. There were there were consequences for telling season members, season pass holders, that you were going to be opening the 2018-2019 season at the new stadium. And they had played over half their home games at Wembley. There was, there was a consequence for that financially. Um, so I think... There might be bigger problems than we know than we know about. Agree with you completely on Arsenal. I, I think very highly of Unai Emery as a manager, and uh, think he he's now gotten some guys that are going to help them defensively and help them push up into that top four again. As far as United, I think they've done some very good business, but I think that there is a cultural problem at Manchester United. So I do not know if, and I think United might end up being one of these clubs now, like Newcastle, where guys are better before they come to Newcastle, and then they're better after they leave Newcastle than they are at Newcastle. And we've seen that for yeah. 15 years at Newcastle United. Um, I think of even just, you know, random names, Scotty Parker, Damian Duff. Uh, these players were, were better at the clubs that they, that preceded their move to Newcastle and, and after Newcastle. Um, I'm sure there's about a dozen more if you gave me time I could come up with. I'm beginning to feel that way about Manchester United in the post-Ferguson era. So uh, Juan Bissaka on paper, a great signing. Daniel James on paper, a very good signing. A player I, I liked a lot at Swansea last season. Yeah. And um, Oh, and Harry Maguire, of course. But um, you know, let's see how they acclimate. United have a lot of too many players. They haven't gotten rid of anyone yet. Last season, toward the end of last season, we're talking about how good Liverpool and Man United are, uh, Man City are. Uh, Nick, there are actually more highly paid first-team players on the Manchester United books than on either of those two squads who finished, you know, 40 points ahead of Man United yeah. last season or whatever it was, 30 points, 30-some-odd points. So um, they have some sort of dressing room and cultural problem at that club post-Ferguson, and I'm not sure Solskjaer despite his pedigree as a player, is the guy that's going to uh, allow them to overcome that. Well, I mean, the only players they really dumped were what, Valencia and Herrera, they went. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, their contracts expired. I mean, Herrera, I think free, they wanted yeah. to keep, but he, he walked. I mean, yeah, he, he walked. He, he ran his contract it's down gonna and, be, and I mean, it's, it's really, it's one of these things, it's not even too early to tell, it's just too difficult to tell. We'll have to see after United's first yeah. few games, uh, you know, how they're looking. But uh, I, you know, I would not be, 
I would not be absolutely shocked, Kartik, if it was uh, Liverpool, Man City, you, you, uh, Arsenal, and United in the top four. I'm not sold at Tottenham because when I hear their manager, who was the linchpin of that team, let's face it, without yeah. Pochettino, that team wasn't getting anywhere near the top four, okay? Correct. Expressing yeah. that level of displeasure with ownership, there, there's big, big trouble at the new White Hart Lane. All right, you're listening to Fifth Street Soccer. Nick Ebron, Kartik, Krishnaya with you. When we come back, let's turn our attention to this side of the Atlantic, where once again our favorite soccer crime syndicate, that's right, the Cosa, the Cosa Nostra of soccer, Major League Soccer, Soccer United Marketing, and the U.S. Soccer Federation, once again have ordered a hit. And this time, that hit is in youth soccer and anybody that isn't in their crime family. When we come back, we're going to talk about it, and hopefully you will be as outraged as we are. Nicky Brancati, Krishna with you, Fifth Street Soccer. Once again, we are beholden to no one. We are no MLS apologists. We will not read a press release and tell you that it's news or the right thing. We don't care if we ever get another press pass or another lunch in the press box. But we do care that you stick around and hear when we come back. All right, well, that is the shortest, uh, one of the shortest punk songs in the world, of course, from the Circle Jerks, and that is a band who's, I think, in the first album, if they had a song that went over a minute, it was probably putting, every, you know, too long. But Deny Everything is the song. Kartik Krishnaya, we are talking about U.S. soccer, Soccer United Marketing, and Major League Soccer, an organization that likes to deny everything when it comes to the unholy trinity, the collusion that goes on as they try to wrest control of all aspects of American soccer and put it in their big, fat corporate pockets. Kartik, they've done it again with the Development Academy. This one, particularly heinous. Do tell. Yeah, so basically they've relegated 44 clubs to a second division uh, where only two of those top two teams will qualify for the Development Academy playoffs. There is a Tier A where the top four teams in each region will qualify for the playoffs, and every MLS academy is in that top tier. And they've relegated some of the most successful academies in the country. Uh, you know, a lot of talk about Alejandro Bedoya and, and his heroic uh, um, yep. actions after he scored a goal this weekend for Philly Union. Uh, his academy, local to me, he's from here in Broward County, Florida, they've been relegated. Ali Hassan. Uh, who uh, almost scored the equalizing goal for the New York Cosmos this weekend in that championship game. He's from that same club. They are the most successful club, Western FC, in South Florida. They've been relegated to, to the second division while Inter-Miami's Academy, MLS, here in Fort Lauderdale, who have never kicked the ball before, David Beckham's team. They are in Division A. <laughs> Can you, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Um, also, there were some arbitrary decisions made about uh, independent academies. We see um, Albion and San Diego relegated to the second division, but uh, San Diego Surf, uh, which is also an independent academy, kept in the top division alongside several MLS academies. Uh, FC Golden State, uh, who will be uh, putting a, a professional team in NISA, 
um, LA Force, they stay in the first division. So uh, that that's good for them. But we see all kinds of arbitrary decisions with no real logic behind this. So we've seen the IMG Academy team relegated. They produced a good chunk of players for the U.S. men's national teams through the years. The South Florida Football Academy here in my area, I mentioned Western FC and uh, Miami Rush Kendall, all relegated. Um, and then most controversially, or before I get to most controversially, of course, PA Classics, which developed Christian Pulisic, also relegated despite their attempts to suck up the U.S. soccer and say, oh, you know, we really are not, we don't, we didn't develop, we don't deserve the solidarity payment, the 750000 owed to us from Chelsea uh, get transfer, uh, the transfer from Dortmund to Chelsea, because he did it on his own, right? So they tried to suck up the U.S. soccer on right. that. Didn't work. They've been relegated. However, uh, the most serious one is of Crossfire Premier, a club uh, I know, Nick, you and I have spent a lot of time talking to and talking about these last few years. The club that uh, developed DeAndre Yedlin, the club that brought a claim against U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer to and, and, and Tottenham Hotspur. Actually, the claim was against Tottenham Hotspur specifically, against Spurs, to the FIFA Dispute Resolution Committee, got a favorable judgment just a few months ago, have been relegated after they finished their league season last year in the DA with a better overall record than every ML Academy in their region. And, but they've been relegated. So Now go figure that one out. Well, supposedly, I mean, this is such nonsense. This is, this is like a protection racket, okay? But supposedly, <laughs> MLS clubs complained that their schedules included too many games that didn't provide challenging competition. And then they threatened that they were just going to leave the Development Academy system. And um, then the U.S. Soccer said, well, they'd look at it and um, look to altering it. Now, okay, I, I accept that. And, and it, is, it is bad when you have, you know, some teams that are much better than others. Uh, and they have to play crappy teams. I mean, but don't you have that in every league that exists in the world? I mean, don't you have that today? We're looking at the Premier League. We're talking about Premier League transfers. I mean, are, are you telling me, uh, for example, in Scotland, that Celtic are going to shake in their boots as they visit Hamilton or St. Johnstone? I mean, are you telling me that uh, Manchester City are going to think it's good competition when they face, you know, a newly promoted team in the Premier League? No. That, it's just it's the nature of the beast. Not everything is at the same level. So I accept that that might be an issue, but then for them to put, put a development academy that has never kicked a ball, but only because they're an MLS academy do they get into the top tier and someone else gets dumped into a lower tier because they're not MLS, that's just wrong, Kartik. The Inter-Miami yeah, situation invalidates the entire argument. Yeah, I, I mean, I've just come to a season with Miami FC where, and then we play the New York Cosmos in the national championship of NPSL. The two teams com lost to combine one match out of about 30-some-odd matches played by the two teams, 30, 40 matches or so, uh, prior to the game, the championship game on uh, on Saturday. Many of the games, I mean, there were two times this season Miami FC scored 10 goals in the game. That's just the nature of the beast if you have some degree of openness in the system, right? right if you yeah. have some sort of competitive 
uh, situation. This nonsense, this canard that comes from American professional sports and the franchise model, which, by the way, is not the MLS. The franchise model is more applicable to USL than MLS. But in general, this American sports culture of parity and competition and competitive balance and um, you know every game should be competitive has essentially neutered the ability to go out there and do um, amazing things and build the sort of super club brands that Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United, Bayern Munich, Juventus have created globally, right? That's impossible right. in this country. And um, the problem now with the youth system is, uh, I my understanding is that there is a feeling that the youth system is getting too competitive in the sense that there are teams now in youth soccer that are too good, that are much better than other teams, and we don't like that. So we need to have everybody competitive and get participation medals. Well, this this idea that the team should be all roughly equal and there should be very little separation between the teams you compete with is the same mentality that got us non-qualification in the last world to the yeah, last yeah, world Cup. so but it, it is it is the model by which our professional soccer league our top league here works which is it's an insular closed league they want to yeah. keep a rain and a, and a cap on costs they want to make it financially manageable and they want mediocrity and parity because if you if you have a manchester city uh, and let's just back up a little bit here what do you think the Premier League would look like today in terms of quality if Manchester City, uh, and we can go back even further, if Chelsea, if Roman Abramovich had not come in and put all that money into Chelsea, do you know what that did? It made everyone else around them start to ply more and more money into their teams so that they could start keeping up with Chelsea. You then had Manchester City who went out and got, you know, an incredible Middle Eastern owner who, to his absolute credit, has made massive investment in the club and the infrastructure and the surrounding area and the community. He hasn't been a cynical ownership whatsoever. And as a result, Manchester City have forced the clubs around them to invest further in their teams and excel and reach new levels. Look at Liverpool. Would Liverpool still be mediocrity? Or what they, no, it, you know, and so you you can't just say to everybody, just being here is enough. You get a participation trophy. You have to say the best of the best, and to the best go the victor, and to the loser goes death. Yeah. So there, there, there are two points in that that I I, I want to reiterate. One, I think the Premier League became the best league in the world because Roman Abramovich yeah, bought I Chelsea. Agree. Period. Yep. I, I think prior to 2003, Serie A was a better league. Uh, La Liga was a better league, and arguably the Bundesliga was a better league. Secondly, I watch uh, – let, let's just compare the Bundesliga to MLS. Uh, I watch a lot of the Bundesliga. The same team wins the league every year, right? Bayern's won, what, six, six straight seasons, seven straight seasons, and every year, except for a few exceptions, Dortmund's second. Yet that league is still more entertaining and more competitive <laughs> in reality and de develops better players and produces better football than, uh, than Major League Soccer. And I don't think anyone can dispute that. Right? right? So, I mean, because there are people who say they like MLS and it's competitive. And why do you watch the Bundesliga? The same team wins it every year. I had this argument with someone the other day. I said, well, wait a second. But the football's better. And those teams are all chasing Bayern. So they're trying to get better. Or 
in some cases, they know they're not going to catch Byron, but you know what? They're going to produce a player who they can sell to Byron for 30 or 40 million, and that's incentive. Well, we don't, we haven't developed that kind of transfer market in right, this country because, because of our, all our rules and restrictions. So we're getting everything backwards here. It's because there's so many races at one time. There's the race to be champion. There's the race to win to be the champions of Europe. There's the race to yep. get into the European game and finishing top four. Correct. There's the race to finish in the top six to get Europa League, which is kind of like a poison chalice for many, but it is still a European com competition. And yep. then there's, there's the race not to get professionally executed, which, what, how it's, which is what happens if you finish in the bottom three. Look, I made a, I made a comparison uh, last, uh, last uh, was it Friday, and, and I thank uh, uh, a couple of our listeners for, for saying they liked it, but... You know, this is the difference when you watch gladiators in the uh, in the um, in the uh, uh, in the amphitheater in Rome. You're watching gladiators with everything on the line fight to the death, and that makes a level of excitement. Not that you know we would know because this was thousands of years ago, but you you don't pay, and it's not nearly as exciting to watch those same gladiators play with Nerf swords, you know. Yeah, somebody will fall down with a Nerf sword at their throat at the end, but you know, hey, they'll get up and they'll play again tomorrow. In a system with promotion and relegation, the relegated team doesn't get up to play tomorrow, at least not back in the top league. So that drives performance, that drives quality, and that drives excitement. It doesn't drive mediocrity, Kartik. And, uh, you know, the excuses that people give, we're now seeing them want to put this same system into effect in the D DA, in the development academies, where it's no longer merit-based. It's now based on, you know, which development academy club you play for, depending on what league you play in, which means all the top talent's going to want to go to the MLS clubs. Yeah. No, and this is it. This is going to make it very difficult. I, I was just having this conversation in, in the in the press box with a member of the media uh, at the at the Miami FC Cosmos game the other night about specifically the situation in Southern California. It's going to make it very difficult for those youth clubs that have been relegated. Albion was one I mentioned in San Diego to recruit the same level of player they have. Those guys are going to go to MLS academies or some of the independent academies, including the, the one affiliated with the NISA club I mentioned, uh, that are in the Division A. So um, that th this is going to make it much more difficult for those clubs to recruit top players. They're going to want to be in that, that A division. Yeah. Uh, and eventually it kills off those independent youth academies and kills off anyone who might complain about the lack of solidarity payments and training compensation in this country. It Voila! Is, That's is probably what they want. They are the Cosa Nostra of football in America. They are the football mafia, Major League Soccer, some. And uh, just like they pay off the cops, they have got U.S. soccer uh, firmly. Just like the, the mafia pay off the cops, uh, MLS and some have U.S. soccer firmly paid off and in their back pocket. Look very quickly. Uh, Daniel, uh, NYC Sports Punk on Twitter says, Nikiba, everything that challenges MLS and some is meant with retaliation. The media even retaliates. Ask Kartik. Araya Roscoe says, uh, you know, we're going to a AAA or AA minor league affiliate style. Guys, this topic uh, isn't going away. Of course, we'll continue to talk about it, but we do have to take a break. Come back and wrap it up here on Fifth Street Soccer on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, Sirius XM 211.
All right, welcome back. You're with us here on Fifth Street Soccer, Nick and Kartik with you. <clears throat> Just a couple of minutes left. <coughs> Excuse me while I choke. Here on the air, Kartik, uh, we have do have a correction to make, do we not? Yeah, so I guess the Houston Dynamo Academy is the one MLS Academy that was dropped to the uh, to the second division. I'm not quite sure what the uh, what what's the reasoning for that. However, the North Carolina FC Youth. Uh, affiliated with North Carolina FC and the North Carolina Courage, um, big you know women's club, and Steve Malik, who is a former USSF board member, they are remaining in the top tier. So that, that that's interesting, and they appear to be taking Houston spot. So that might be very political, also, and about a, some degree of favoritism in U.S. soccer. Not sure about that, but that seems to be the possibility. Hey, Carter, you got one minute. What did uh, NYC Sports Punk mean when he talked about retaliation and said you could talk about that one? Oh, yeah, I think uh, specifically retaliation for these youth clubs, Crossfire. They've been relegated for uh, the purposes of uh, filing that suit against uh, against U.S. soccer, filing that claim. And if he's talking about media retaliation, I didn't see his tweet yet. I'm yeah, probably seeing as soon as we yeah. log off. Uh, I, I've been retaliated against personally by, uh, by U.S. soccer on multiple occasions for uh, – uh, for for trying to report accurately things or asking questions that uh, they didn't want asked. You mean and, like uh, are there really retaliation? Like, like are there what, really twenty eight thousand people here watching the game? Because it looks like yeah, 2, right. No, but me. they retaliate about every little thing. They are so insecure about their place in the world of football that they behave this way. And plus, they're running possibly a racket, as we've talked about. Also, yep, that might make it them is. insecure. Also, the Cosa Nostra of soccer. You've got it right here in America. That's right. You've heard it. You've seen it. We've told you about it. It is the star chamber of U.S. soccer who are firmly in the pockets of Major League Soccer and Soccer United marketing. That's how this is working, and we're going to keep harping on it. So stay tuned every day, Monday, Friday, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern. We will. We will expose the lies. We will expose the hypocrisy. And we'll talk a lot about the Premier League as well and the leagues in Europe and have a wickedly good time. Hope you will join us. Hope you will make us a regular part of your week. Until tomorrow, folks, have a great night and we'll see you then. Hi, this is Ron Barr. If you like insightful, interesting sports talk and interviews with the biggest names in sports, then join us for Sports Byline USA coming up next on the Worldwide Sports Byline USA Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.